Hello, everyone, and welcome to Getting to Know Your Friends. Uh, today, on this episode, is Dale Maxfield, one of my Hello. amazing friends, guys. I mean, you should be clapping at home if you're not, because this guy, Dale... <laughs> you should be clapping at home. You should be. Oh, no. Or if you're not clapping at home in your cars or on anywhere that you're listening to this, Dale will know, because he'll have some sort of technological way of finding out, yes. so... Um, but thank you for being on the show, finally, Dale. I, I always mention you at every episode at the end, and now we put a face yeah. to the name. I'm normally sitting in the background somewhere trying not to laugh. Yeah, yeah. Having a great so time. I'm yeah. glad this is finally happening, because, yeah. I mean, this is it, it's been uh, a process in the making, and we've been doing uh, a lot of content stuff lately, uh, you and I, with uh, both of us. Um, it's been fun. It's it been has, a lot yeah. of fun. So I'm excited to get even more into getting to know you so yeah um of course i'm your host zach roland i forgot to mention because i'm super excited to have dale with me <laughs> um but we're gonna get to know dale a little bit more because he's a friend of mine and he's really great so let's start at the beginning oh man um so where are you from um so i i briefly lived in quincy illinois um mm-hmm. and then i actually you know consider that i grew up in highland illinois uh, i did live in belleville for a little while we lived in evansville indiana for a little while yeah um, but where I come from is kind of an interesting story in and of itself. Let's hear it. So, um, my parents, um, my, my dad was, um, a Franciscan brother. Um, he was a, he went to seminary high school, mm-hmm. um, to become a priest. Wow. Um, and my mom was actually an novitiate, so she was on her way to becoming a nun, in the Catholic Church. Wow. And they met at Quincy College at church uh-huh. and ended up eventually in a relationship and got married and had me. Um, hmm. And so both of my parents were sort of like on the road to this like celibate Catholic Absolutely. lifestyle. And then they weren't. And then they had five kids because that's what Catholics do. Sure. They, you know, my mom's in the middle of 15. Oh, wow. So 15? 15. Oh my gosh, yeah. like, I think the biggest family I know was like 10, maybe. 15, that's huge. Yeah, it's insane. Um, my my grandmother was pregnant every year, part of the year, for 20 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. that's. A, I don't even know how a woman can go through such... Ugh, I don't even she know. She liked it. I mean, obviously cool. she liked it. Yeah. Um, so, she, I mean, she liked being pregnant. She liked the attention and sure. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so uh, it's kind of this strange story of how my parents ended up together and then um uh my dad ended up doing because you really as a as a married person in the catholic church you can't really do much um so you know you can become like a deacon Mm -hmm. which is really just sort of a facilitator you don't have a whole lot of responsibilities or you know you can't say mass or any of that kind of stuff and so a lot of the things that he'd been training his whole life to do weren't really helpful to him anymore weren't really things he could do anymore so um he became what's called a director of religious education Mm -hmm. for catholic schools and uh first we were in belleville and so i went from kindergarten through the third grade there okay and then uh the summer before i went into fourth grade we moved to highland illinois and i was at that catholic school um until seventh grade Mm-hmm. When I talked to my parents into letting me switch to the public school because I did not <laughs> like the Catholic school. Oh yeah. Um, and we actually all switched over. Um, all, all all of siblings. my siblings. Yeah. Um, so I think at that point we were all 
in school, or, mo- or almost all of us were in. Probably four out of the five. What was it that in. you didn't like? You remember? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much time do you got? Um, oh, boy. So, um, there, there were a lot of things to it. Uh, it there were a lot of, of aspects to it. Um, part of it was it was a very small town. Mm-hmm. Um, Highland, uh, I, I, I believe the population was like 7,000 or so. Um, yeah. And so when you're talking about a private Catholic school in that small of a town, um, like my seventh grade year, I was one of three boys in my class. That's crazy. I couldn't even conceptualize that. I never had, like, I never had, like, really good friends at school. Um, But I did have a lot of people that harassed me and gave me a hard time. And Mm -hmm. I put up with that for a long, long time. You know, I, I put up with that. A little bit in Belleville, not quite so bad, but it was it was really bad in Highland, and um, I got sick of it, and I, I got fed up with it, and I actually, I sat my entire seventh grade class down, like, the week of graduation, and I said, this has to stop, I'm going to come back next year, we're going to graduate as a class, you're not going to give me any shit anymore, yeah. like, with the teacher, with the principal and all that, and then this story kind of got back to my parents, and they were like, do you want to go to the public school? Like, um, yeah, we've been talking about that for a long time. And it it actually, it, the reason that it it took that long, um, and you know, in retrospect, all this stuff makes sense. But, um, when my dad switched us out of a Catholic school, they fired him. Oh my gosh. Because he wasn't sending his kids to that school. Politics. Yeah. That's nuts. Which, you know, I mean, part of it is what's really strange about that is that like, one of the perks of him working there was that, you know, we didn't have to pay tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really important because he was making no money. Right. There were five of us, you know, it was a household of seven. Um, and that also played a big part in how I got along with all the other kids because they were rich, Catholic, spoiled kids. Oh, yeah. And I was, you know, in hand-me-downs and, you know, Walmart shoes and, and just harassed for everything under the sun Yeah, um, about all that stuff. You know, I didn't have any of the video games. I didn't have anything cool mm-hmm. or fun. I just showed up and, you know, tried to make it through my day. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I that was, that was sort of grade school. And then um, I stayed in Highland for high school, um, which I managed to get through. Um, I... Mm-hmm. Uh, even the public school wasn't very big. Yeah. Um, the high school was served a much wider area than the uh, the junior high and high school or the, the grade schools did. But um, I think I think my graduating class was I think well, actually I want to say that the entire school population was 800 people. Oh, okay. There's like 800 high school students for four levels for four. Okay, yeah, four grades. Four yeah. grades of high yeah. school. Wow. And so my graduating class was um, 200 mm. kids, um, 100, 100 boys, 100 girls. And yeah. even there, it was sort of like I had some people that I liked and some friends and that kind of thing. Um, but it really just wasn't working for me. And I, um, I have very much a and, – and to this day continue to have very much a – um, I will go and figure it out type of learning style. Oh, yeah. I have a, I'm going to jump off the deep end and just immerse myself in this and find out how to do it, make all the mistakes and, and, and I'm going to become an expert in this the hard, hardest possible I way, love it. the fastest possible way. Yep. Um, and 
school doesn't really work that way. So, um, I can say that again. So, yeah. So, uh, the only reason I think that I graduated high school, the only reason, um, that I made it that far was, um, we had super low, the, 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 uh, requirements, the number of, uh, credits you had to have to graduate from this high school were pathetically low. It was like 17 credits or 18 credits, something insanely low like that. Um, And it was possible, it was feasible that you could get that many credits in three years without, without breaking a sweat. And the trick was the way that they forced kids to take four years was that there's sort of an asterisk next to that requirement that was you have to have four credits of English and the only way to get four credits of English is to go to school for four years. Mm-hmm. Except that I took a uh, honors class for English in my senior year that was a self-paced thing oh, where cool. it was read so many books and then choose to either do a report or an oral mm-hmm. like defense of the book, like explanation of the book, comprehension sort of thing. Um, there, were, like, like take a test on it, all yeah. these different things. And it was, you know, choose whatever books you wanted. And so I figured out the strategy of, you know, which are the shortest books, which are the ones that I can bullshit my way through uh-huh. talking about, not really reading everything about it, um, you know, which ones are going to be easy assignments and hard assignments. And so I essentially finished that class with an A grade, mm-hmm. um, like halfway through the senior school year. And... I hung on for another month or so, and then I started going in and saying, uh, going into like the principal and saying, if I don't show up for the rest of the year, will I pass? Yeah. And like, will I graduate? I've already done everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like my, my English teacher will give me an A and I'll have my fourth credit. I won't get credit for the second half of all these other classes that I'm taking that are just, which you don't need, which I don't need. (laughs) I'm just, I just got stuff on my schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that point it was like band and choir and yeah. like just whatever, you know, stuff I felt like I could do without wanting to shoot myself. Right. Um, and the principal was opposed to it and I ended up taking it up to the superintendent of the school Damn. and he said, um, the quote was that the rules about keeping kids in school for this long are not meant to keep kids like Dale Maxfield from going out and doing what he's going to go do. Um, because oh. basically what they said was, if you can come to us with a a letter from where it is you're going mm-hmm. instead of this, like if you can go to a job and say, you know, write me a letter and say, they you need me during the day. And right. I, you know, they yeah. have something for me to do. Um, so I ended up uh, coming back with a letter from the recording studio. That said, Dale is taking an intern program here, and we have business clients during the day, and if he's available, that would be very helpful to his continued, you know, employment here and Mm -hmm. internship here and all that kind of stuff. So, cool. I got got out of high school. Yeah, that's a a (laughs) hell of an adventure. It was, it was great. Yeah. Uh, It was so, that was, that was one of the most, like, fulfilling moments of my life. It was, like, finally... I'm done with this. You like broke the chains. I mean, yes. that really, it really, it really. I love this. You stuck it to them almost to the point where they had to. It's like you, the superintendent had to acknowledge the fact that you were just smarter than everybody else. Well, and that's and it, it. It's something that I've never. 
that 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 feeling, that lesson, that process has been something that I've applied to everything else I've done in yeah. my life, which is if you want to do something and you know what it is, if you if you're focused and you know what it is that you want, you know, you're not just like I kind of want to be a musician or right. I kind of want to be in a band. If it's I want to learn how to be a recording engineer so that I can be around musicians all the time, get better at all this stuff, and mm-hmm. be able to record my stuff at night. You know, if you have that that level of a goal, and that's not even really a long-term goal, that's a short-term, like, yeah. you know, maybe a year or two of my life that I'm going to spend doing this, mm-hmm. getting good at it. Um, if the, There's always the, the direction that people sort of lay out for you, which is, well, you know, you, you put in your, your time doing this, you know, you sort of... Uh, learn the ropes a bit, and you you right. uh, pay your dues. Pay your dues exactly. Yeah. You pay your dues, and you get uh, uh, eventually. You kind of work your way up through this. And my process has always been: I just keep asking until someone says yes. Mm-hmm. So if someone says to me, "Well, you need to you know you need to go pay your dues and you know do a couple of albums and learn how to do some other stuff," or they say, "Well, we'd really like you to stay in high school," you know, mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. It's like I'm just going to keep asking. There's yeah. no point in me not asking until I find somebody that that wants to say yes to that, and yeah. just never settling for settling for less than what I what I really want. Yeah, so. that's good. That's good life lesson to learn, especially at that age, because so many people don't get that. I think I might have gotten that at one point, but then I lost it for a while. Yeah, and now I'm getting back to it because it's important to do the things that you want to do. And it I, really is. I've got to get that same mentality down. You know, it really is. And I I I paid for that. Um, in a lot of ways in my 20s too mm-hmm. um, you know as hard as my as hard as my my grade school and high school process was with bullying and all the other crap that I put up with mm-hmm. um, sort of skipping college and going straight into recording which led me into web development which mm-hmm. led me into advertising which led me into video and IT and all this other stuff yeah. um, I, I missed out on a lot of the social things that you do through college, sure. um, I didn't meet a lot of people my age for a long time. I went straight into the workforce, and I was working with people that were at least fifteen years older than oh, me. Oh yeah, um, you know, wasn't old enough to go out to the bars, wasn't old enough to do any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I also was, you know, in a lot of respects, I knew what I wanted. Like I knew what I wanted in a girlfriend, for example, mm-hmm. and that never there was never a twenty year old girl that it was never interested. Happened. Like or that was interesting yeah. to me in that way. Um, they just there was no one my age that had it together like that. Sure. That knew what they wanted and knew who they were and it's tough. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, oh yeah. Um, for me, like you know, I, I I know you you talk about how kind of thirty is when you sort of get things together and sort of figure things out. Mm-hmm. For me, thirty was was more like. Um, everyone else finally like caught up like <laughs> it was it. finally a thing where yeah. I wasn't hanging out with people 10 years older than me to, yeah. to get what I needed it was more like oh you guys I remember you guys yeah. I hated you guys 10 years ago but now we're cool right thanks for getting <laughs> shit together yeah yeah. way to you know live, live, you, you got through your first marriage and now we're good like you actually <laughs> have done something you've, I have not gone through that process yeah least, but, like but you've, still you've I lived. get it yeah yeah. You, you've had something that matured you yeah it yeah, wasn't yeah. just you know that's so interesting absolutely like I just I always wonder if it's 
how people experience life as children, what they go through to set their like goals and determination factors, you know, like do they let that beat them down or do they rise above and overcome and do that kind of stuff? Because I, I, I always felt that way. Like I always felt like I was going to get beat down in some way, shape or form for whatever reason I got bullied. Yeah. And then I always wanted to overcome the adversity. I always took the challenge as a challenge and to like be like, okay, well that's how you feel or that's how you're going to act. Right. But I'm going to get this far and faster and then we'll see who's laughing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Like you you figure out your own stuff, man. I'm not here to I'm not here to solve your problem. <laughs> I'm really not. And yeah. I'm not, you know. Yeah. You know, do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. Right. Yeah. So where has that all kind of led you? Like I know we've kind of had conversations about you've been here and there and here and there. Yeah. Um what was next? Um so I did um it was my uh, earlier in my senior year, um, our choir director had this idea to do a concert of all original music. Um, so the choir was actually writing the songs for the uh, for the performance, and I submitted two songs that got um, put on the the final performance. Um, one was a piano uh, solo that, for some reason, like. This is a choir concert, but I was allowed to play this piano solo in. Mm. And the other one was a choir piece that I wrote. Mm. And as they were talking through, like, you know, what else could we do to make this even better? Like, how could we improve this whole experience for everybody and make it more exciting? Um, I suggested getting it recorded. Getting it professionally recorded live that night, putting out a CD, mm-hmm. and trying to, like, fundraise with it to buy more equipment for the choir right. and that kind of stuff. And... They were like, that sounds like a great idea. They were like, everybody was really excited about it, but they were like, but I have no idea who we would call or how we would do that. Yeah. And I had a, you know, whatever the, um, the local paper, it might have been like a Spotlight magazine or, um, you know, one of St. Louis's like uh, Riverfront Times or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, sort of like the pitch in Kansas City. Yeah, something more local. Um, but they had ads for this place called. Uh, Keywood Portable Studio, and it was a fully fledged recording studio that they could take mobily and set up and record you wherever you were. Wow. And come out and record your concert. So the school hired them, and they came out and did the show. And I got introduced to those guys, and ended up, you know, going out there to do the mixing process and all that stuff for that choir CD. So immediate hands on almost. Yeah, and and I basically talk them into letting me have an internship. <laughs> um, and part of it was they were very grateful that, you know, they'd gotten the school's business because I had, I'd put that all together. Like yeah. I'd had the idea, I'd track them down, all that stuff. So, and I was willing to come in and work for free, obviously, yeah. you know, as, as an intern. And so I just went and really got into that, really started learning all of those things. Um, and that kind of started another pattern in my life which is I I go and I try something that I think I really want mm-hmm. and I think it, it seems on the surface to be a perfect situation where um, you know at the time I was 17 years old um, and I was recording you know I had a, I had a band in high school of my own um, 
this like really progressive crazy band um progressive in like what genre i mean uh like progressive rock like okay yeah. 70s genesis yeah. kind of stuff yeah, yeah yeah like eight minute songs with movements and fun stuff like that yeah it. um yeah <laughs> no one loved it but we, we had a good time um but i i was doing a lot of stuff in my basement so it was it was something where i felt like if i can if i can get out of high school and i can get to where i'm you know, the second chair engineer at this recording studio, Mm -hmm. um, then I'll have a somewhat steady income, but I'll also be attached to all these people in the music industry in St. Louis. And I'll be able to put out my own CD. Yeah. Um, because at that time, you know, this was 1995, nobody could make their own CD. Just nobody, like no one had burners. No one had any of that kind of stuff. It was all, a completely, um, completely untapped thing that you know there was just you had to send it off to a special plant mm-hmm. to get it done and the CD making plants. I remember that time. all of that yeah. stuff you had to figure out and 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 learn how to do. And so I thought that if I could if I could turn that into um, something that would just sustain me, then I could do the recording and writing and performing and stuff that I wanted to do mm-hmm. as part of that and have this whole life that was built around music. Mm-hmm. It was built around um, engineering and, and, and performing. Um, and where that kind of started this pattern was I got into that and I found out that there was a lot of it that I liked and there was a lot of it that I didn't like. And um, one of the things that I didn't like was that the last thing that you want to do at the end of a day of recording is record some more. Um, or rehearse a band or have anything enter your eardrums like you just want silence you just want to to even television okay like just something that you can pass out and just not concentrate on because engineering is a very like you're really just using your ears like as hard as you can and oh, yeah. really concentrating on all this stuff and yeah your brain is working at a capacity that you're not normally functioning at yeah yeah so it, it's very you know very logic intensive kind of stuff you know it's like you're sitting there doing a math problem all day um, and so I, I, I saw that part of it um, I also saw that the money didn't really come from the bands that were coming in and recording it was coming from the corporate stuff and where the money was in the corporate stuff was this very uh, very niche sort of thing called digitizing mm-hmm. which was all the rage at the time like in the 90s but basically what it was was taking voice vocal recordings of people talking cutting it up in a Unix computer, so it's all text-based, and you're mm-hmm. like trimming milliseconds. And do they even still have Unix around? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. In, like, for, I don't even know why. For yeah. forever. But I mean, yeah, like, I get the you. internet's all based on Unix. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, uh, Mac OS is actually a ah, Unix-based uh, operating okay. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's uh, basically recording and programming. Um, IVR systems, automated voice response. So when you call Southwestern Bell and that voice says, press one for this, press two for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I learned how to record those, edit those, program those, and then send a floppy to Southwestern Bell that they could put onto their system Mm -hmm. 
and then the buttons were there and the menus all worked and everything was wow. supposed to do what it was supposed to do. Um, the only other people in the country that were doing that at the time were two employees of AT&T. Mm-hmm. And so Southwestern Bell was paying AT&T tons and tons of money to do this process Oof. for them. And they would take as long as they felt like taking. Like yeah. If they didn't want to do it for two months, they just didn't do it. So they said, well, if you can get your time down faster than them, you can do this. And this was a, but we have no idea how this process works. We have no idea what it's about. And I said, well, can you get me one of the, the programming systems, you know, one of these conversant decks? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we've got a couple. We just never figured out how to use them. So I, I got one, and I spent two weeks just beating on it and trying different stuff and, and coming up with slowly figuring out the process for it. Yeah. And we turned that um, from not knowing anything about all of that to two weeks later having a $100,000-a-year contract with Southwestern Bell. Oh, wow. To do that work. And that work was super, super easy. <laughs> um, the woman who, and I, I don't know how familiar you are with Southwestern Bell in particular, but they were based in um, St. Louis. Their headquarters in St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that voice, there's a lot of people in this area that know that Southwestern Bell, mm-hmm. that woman's voice, mm-hmm. her name's Pam. She lives in Columbus, Ohio. Oh. Um, she would record everything and send it to me on a DAT tape, and then I would cut the DAT tape down into the conversant process. Wow. Put it on a floppy disk. And I got it down to where we would fax them a script on a Monday. Mm-hmm. We'd get the DAT tape on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I'd have it programmed and ready to go at the end of the day on Wednesday. Yeah. And we would send it in the following Monday. We'd wait and send it in the following Monday. And so we were already super fast compared to AT&T. But we were also building in this, like, buffer. Yeah. And... So whenever every once in a while they would come along and they'd say, I know this is crazy, but if there's any way we can get this like Friday instead of Monday, oh, man. we'll do what we can do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'd like go hand deliver it on Friday oh. like I just finished it. And we were heroes and it was great. Golly. Um, That's so great. And that was that was the first time um that was like just after I turned eighteen. That was the first time I actually had a like regular access to a computer. At mm-hmm. all. Because um, we never had one at home. Um, I never owned a computer until I was in my 20s. Wow. Um, but I actually ended up eventually working in IT and uh-huh. running my own IT business. So right. I got as deep into computers as you could get sure, you know, you for s- a long time. Yeah, you didn't have to start out heavy because once you found your way into it, once it found, you know, it found its way to you, yeah. you, you were just immersed immediately. Like you, yeah. And it, it was one of those things where, you know, if I had... If I had gone to college and gotten a computer science degree, which I never would have done, mm-hmm. you know, I never would have, I, I never would have figured out as quickly yep. that recording wasn't the thing, yep. that music wasn't the thing, um, as far as making money goes. Right. Like I still did music. All I, my last album came out in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. I still produced music for my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do a lot of work around music for other people yeah. with, with videos and, and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, I just haven't been as creative um myself with it but it's it's something that you know if i had gone to college and and even if i had been like had figured out that i wanted a computer science degree or something like that i would have missed the boat on um the conversant like Mm -hmm. i never would have learned the conversant thing i never would have made that company you know 100 grand a year doing that stuff Mm -hmm. um i probably would have missed the boat on 
web design, which was also just exploding at that time. Like, 95, 96 was really yeah. when the internet was taking off. Yep. Windows 95 made all that stuff super easy oh, suddenly. Yeah, and, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, AOL was blowing up. And, yeah. Um, you know, we all had AOL on Macs at, at, at work, and that was the first time we had the internet. Yeah. Um, With the old dial-up modem. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, I, I've used the internet. That This is insane to think about. I used the internet before there were graphics on the internet. Oh, well, what that was like. There was a, t- like, the first time, I, th- I think the first thing I, session that I ever had, like, I had a friend showing me, or the, the boss at the company. Yeah. Was showing me his AOL account, and that's what we used. We, like, borrowed his AOL account at work and, you know, just messed around on there and did stuff. And yeah. I made the first website for that company there. And But, like, we went to Amazon. Amazon was, was around in 1995 really? and it was all text interesting you know and it was this whole the whole concept of the hyperlink mm-hmm. that was what made the internet special and it was mm. you know these text things that you could click on and get more information or you know go into these other things and, yeah um, and then like the next version of Netscape came out and it had graphics yeah it was like whoa this has blown us away and yeah, because I think that that's what I had first when I remember getting like internet was like we we got like the AOL stuff, but Netscape was what we had, and uh, yeah, I never had that without images. Like it yeah. was always Netscape yeah. was the jam for many many years, mm-hmm. um, and I yeah, it's it's so that whole period, um, uh, you know, just how like I was sort of like right on the edge of that wave that whole time. Yeah. Um, and I ended up with um, the recording studio that I was working at. Um, they ended up going out. They they eventually went out of business, but they they fired me and another guy mm-hmm. um, because basically what happened um, there was a uh, they were they were trying to figure out how to make more money with the bands and with all that kind of stuff. And so what they did was they ran this promotion to try and book a month completely solid back-to-back with recording stuff. So the chief engineer was doing that work, and I was doing the business work, mm-hmm. the conversion stuff um, that was really making the money. And they didn't quite book the entire month, so they did kind of a development deal with this artist who is sort of a um, like a... a Mariah Carey type of singer like that sort okay. of style yeah um, it was like r and B, I I guess yeah I mean it's like that Something. like top 40 pop sure. sort of thing yeah yeah um, and they brought her in basically to fill the make sure the entire month was full but it was like this development deal where we were bringing in people to write songs for her mm-hmm. and she was singing and you know we were working up the whole like package of, of producing this this person she had a falling out with the chief engineer, and it basically came down to she was acting like a diva, and he was overtired and wasn't putting up with it. Mm-hmm. And it came down to something like she asked him to like get up and go get her some water, and he was like, I'm calibrating the tape that you're about to record on. You know where the water is. Mm-hmm. Go and get the water. Yeah. Um, and so he got fired. Ugh. And then after that, the business manager and I were sort of like, this is not 
this place is is doomed. It's screwed. Um, we don't have a chief engineer. All we have is this contract. Um, they bought this huge warehouse space. So the contract, I mean, $100,000 sounds like a lot of money. Right. It was not paying the bills. Like, it was not enough Man. to cover, you know, the four or five people that worked there and all this space and all this equipment that Ugh. we bought. And we built, we literally, I built the recording studio. Yeah. Like, they came in and had drywall and we were putting up drywall and, and like, I learned all of that stuff too. Damn. Um, and we got caught by one of the other employees sort of checking out other space and like thinking about going out on our own. Oh. And he busted us and we, we tried to talk ourselves back out of it. Like we were just, these were considerations. We're not leaving you sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually like, sort of saw it for himself and was like, yeah, you got, I can't trust you guys anymore. You got to go. Jeez. Um, so I ended up, um, I was, <laughs> so one of the other things that happened, um, right around that same time, actually right after I got done with high school, um, I had been for money. I'd been working at a grocery store in town and I really liked that job loved that job oh yeah um everything was at your own pace everybody was so laid back and cool um like most of the day was stocking shells which is just mindless fun easy stuff Saturdays it was like getting carts and restocking things but mostly we would just hang out with the owner in the back and play guitar like, oh, that's fun. Make pizzas in a little toaster oven and just have a good time. <laughs> it was an absolute blast to work there. Yeah. And I wasn't making I wasn't making move out of the house money, but I was making good like gas money to get back and forth to recording sessions and all of that. Mm-hmm. And my parents, who have a uh, they have a gap in their memory about this. <laughs> this actually did happen. <laughs> um, my parents came to me like a week after I got out of high school, like a week after I was free. Mm-hmm. And they said, and they, they know, they know who I am. They know me. Like they, they know me better than anybody else. They said, um, by the end of the summer, you need to either be enrolled in college or paying rent. And that was completely out of the blue. Yeah. And it was completely counter, uh, uh, counterintuitive, counterproductive right, of what right. I wanted to do. Yep. Um, obviously, college was not something I was going to go do. Yeah, you were not on that path. They, I, I wasn't going to get scholarships. I wasn't going to be able to afford it on my own. They weren't going to be able to help me afford it. And not only that, but there's no way. Like, I barely made it through high school. I'm not <laughs> going to go do this <laughs> that again. System, yeah. And so the rent thing became, you know, I think they thought, you know, well we can get him to help out a little bit with financials and stuff like that. Yeah. But for me, it became, well, if I'm going to pay rent, I'll get out and rent someplace yeah, where I can come home anytime I want to. And I'm not like under my parents' roof and under their rules and all that kind exactly. of stuff. And so I bolted and like six weeks or less, like probably two or three weeks after they said that to me, I was like, showed up with a U-Haul and I was like, well, see you later. <laughs> Like, I'm not even going to be here through the summer. I'm gone. Um, I found a place that would let me sign a lease as a 17-year-old. I don't know how that happened. It worked. I did it. And 
three or four months into that lease is when I got let go. Mm. So I couldn't afford to pay my rent. I ended up um, sort of crashing at one of my aunt and uncle's houses in St. Charles, Missouri, um, for nine months to a year or so, um, Mm. while I sort of worked my way through paying off the rest of the lease. Yeah. And then sort of getting to where I wanted to be, which was having enough money that I could go out on my own and, and, and get my own place. So, yeah. Um, I worked at Quick Trip uh, for a while. I worked at Kinga's Formal Wear, renting tuxedos to mm-hmm. prom kids and things like that for a while. Wedding parties. Wedding parties. Yeah. Jeez. And then I got this uh, great job, my first IT job, where... I had this idea when I was working at the tuxedo rental shop because um, I'd had all this experience with the internet, right? Yeah. And programming, and uh, we'd gotten into like before I left there, I'd gotten into like video editing and flash animations and stuff like that, like really super cutting edge stuff for ninety five, ninety six. Mm-hmm. And the tuxedo rental place had this system where they had like a, a quadruplicate, uh, you know, pass through. Uh, form mm-hmm. that they would fill out the form and then one copy would go to the place where all the tuxedos were so they know what to put together yeah. one place like stayed behind is right. the order and one was a receipt one, like, yeah one was a receipt yeah. and one traveled around and so I had this whole idea of like hey I could put this together in Shockwave and centralize it all into a server the, everybody could see the records and look them up you could fill out the form on the computer oh, yeah. screen um, the shop would get things instantly you know to they wouldn't there wouldn't be this process of because they had people driving around picking up pouches and delivering things and yeah all of that stuff i was like I, I could figure this out and my idea because of the way that i think and the way i do things was not to ask permission to do it but to just develop the thing yeah. and bring it in and say hey why don't we do this yeah um and i went to um this company that my aunt was working at this trade show management company and said if you guys have any computer that I can borrow for like a month. I don't care how slow it is. I don't care how old it is. Like any computer that I can borrow and take home for like a month that I can install Shockwave and build this thing. Um, and they were like, we've got one. Hmm. Um, how much do you know about networks? I said, I know all kinds of stuff about networks. I knew nothing about networks. <laughs> um, it's like, well, we're thinking about upgrading to Windows 95 and upgrading our 16-bit server to a 32-bit server and We've got a BNC network, but we need help and all that kind of stuff. And I said, I think I can help you. And I went, I took the computer and I drove back to the mall where I was working and I went and got networking for dummies from Walden Books. Yeah, yeah. And I went back the next week and interviewed and got a job there as their network administrator. Wow. And built my first network and, and that's what I did for a living for, that was like 1998, um, I've done that ever since. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've made money ever since. And, you know, for like four or five years in a row, every year I was making ten or $20,000 more than I was the year before. Wow. Like, it just... Keeps expanding. Just kept growing. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. No more grocery store, you know, uh, pizzas anymore. Yeah. Like you, were, I, you were getting into the, like, really technological advances of, of the modern age. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I ended up... Uh, I had actually the buddy of mine that I was going to uh, leave the recording studio with had, in the meantime, he moved to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, his marriage broke up in the process of all of that, and he was sort of looking for something to do, and I was sort of looking for something to do, and mm-hmm. I was, like I said, like, there weren't any other, like, 19-year-olds hanging out in corporate America with me. Yeah. Um, so, he said, well, why don't you figure out how to move to Kansas City and, you know, get a job here doing something mm-hmm. that'll make you money, and we'll do a recording thing on the side, right. you know, just something for fun. Yeah. I was all about it, and uh, I ended up getting a job at Sprint. Oh, Sprint. Yep. Yeah. Everybody works at Sprint. At some point, everybody works at Sprint. Everybody must work at Sprint. We're Cerner now, I guess, but... Yeah. yeah. But it, it, In the 90s, time, it was Sprint. Sprint. It's definitely Sprint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was I was there from uh, from 98 to uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, worked at Sprint. So... Um, so you then you you were here in Kansas City then by that point. I, yeah, I moved to Kansas City for that. Um, the whole recording aspect of that, like getting together with that guy, that never really panned out and went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he and I had kind of a falling out. And right about that time, um, my brother moved in with me. Mm-hmm. Um, he had left high school early. Uh, <laughs> Seems like a trend here in the family. Dot dot dot. Yeah. And um, he was getting ready to do his first album, and uh, this other guy that I was I was you know staying with and that I'd moved to Kansas City for it just wasn't working mm. with him. Um, and he basically told me like you know I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, but it's not going to be anything with you. So okay, so yeah, uh, that's when I started looking for. A better place to live and a better job and all yeah. that kind of stuff and I ended up working at uh, VML which is an advertising company here in town cool um, I worked there for almost five years mm-hmm. I started out as um, what they used to call a technologist but now it's more like a business systems analyst okay and that's sort of the people side of web design and technology and that sort of thing where yeah. you go and you find out what people need um, you go and you find out, you know, solutions that would make things better for them, or mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they need a form to capture people that are interested in their product, or maybe they need, you know, whatever that was. Yeah, just I would go spec it all out and then hand it over to the programmers and they would build it. And um, I did that for like a year or so and realized that they had a pretty good handle on technology for that stuff um, for what they were doing because they're an ad agency but they had this whole technology arm that was building websites and that kind of stuff Um, what they were missing was uh, quality control Mm. they were leaving all of their quality control up to the sales department so it was basically I would spec something out the programmers would build it we'd present it to the sales team you know all inside the company the sales team would look at it for a couple minutes and go cool and send it to the client and then something would break or something wouldn't be the way they wanted it or wouldn't work the way they were supposed to. Yeah. And so I built a department there that was just quality control. And so all we did was test all of these things that they developed huh. in-house. Interesting. Um, and, and built that whole thing up. Wow. So Man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like one, from one thing from scratch to the next thing just from scratch. Just keep making just, them up. Yeah. yeah. Um, Incredible. And so yeah, yeah. So then, uh, then that was um, like you said. That was after. So that was in like what the two thousands then, early two thousands. Uh, yeah, I started there in September. I actually started there 
a year before September 11th, 2001. Okay. So I started there in 2000, um, and I left like a month shy of my fifth anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I left to um, help out a friend of mine who had started an IT company, um, this this development IT company. And within a couple of months of doing that, of leaving and, and, and coming on to do that, um, I basically took over the company. Oh, wow. I bought him out and took it over. Um, and I ran it from, uh, I, I took it over in early 2005 and I ran it until I sold it in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I worked in it in sort of a consulting capacity until 2011. Dang. And then started just kind of doing the things I do now, which is I do consulting uh-huh. here and there, but nothing nothing that I have to show up for every day. Right. Um, it's all project work. It's all, um, again, like a lot of niche stuff that other people don't do. So, um, like there's a number of different consulting firms in town mm-hmm. that know if they need this specific kind of work done, they can call me. Yeah. And if the client's willing to pay what I ask them to pay, I will be there and I'll do it. Nice. Um, but I charge enough that um, I don't get taken advantage of as far as like being put to work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also something where I can work three to four months of the year doing that stuff mm-hmm. and then not have to work the rest of the year. Ah, that's so great. But you've, yeah. you've worked so hard for it though. Like, mm. I mean, to say the least, uh, you know, you put yourself into all of these situations uh, to, to grow and expand and learn. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, like, and, it, you should, and it's like, it's not even like this thing of being like, well, I'm just bored all the other time. Because then you find all these other amazing projects. I always have to have something fun to do. I yeah. always have to be learning something new, mastering something I've never tried before. Yeah. And I always like to be a step ahead of, you know, I, I loved writing the first wave of the internet. Mm-hmm. That was such a, such an exciting That's thing so to crazy. do. Um, yeah. the, uh, the stuff I'm doing now with video and the stuff I'm doing, you know, with, uh, with content creation and, yeah. um, helping people collaborate in new and exciting ways. I mean, that kind of stuff I, I really get into. I still get into music production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things too, I mean, I, 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 I also, I mean, I want to be sincere about all of this and honest about all of this. Um, if I, if, if I were still single, um, I would not work three months out of the year and not mm. the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still feel compelled to work all the time. Yeah. But I'm fortunate that um, I'm in a relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm married. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm in a relationship where. Um, my wife met me literally like two or three months after I started working, running my own company. Mm-hmm. And she was finishing her residency um, to become a doctor. Um, she, so we were both working insane hours and spending every like free time that intersected with one another together. Yeah. Even if that meant she was asleep on my couch and I was watching a movie. Yep. Because that's what a lot of our early you know, our first couple months together was like, yeah. Uh, but, uh, she understands what drive drives me. What, what satisfies me. She knows when I'm having a good time. She knows when I'm having a bad time. (laughs) She knows that when I go to work, uh, for, for nine months in a row at some place I don't really like, it's not 
great for me. And so um, the stability of her job and the fact that she loves her job and she gets paid very well as well mm-hmm. makes it to where, you know, I don't have to feel guilty or worried about, you know, there not being some kind of a, a safety net. Yeah. You know, where if I, if I do go a year without a job... I'd feel like a sure, like a bad, yeah. unsuccessful guy. Yeah, but I would have a place to live still, and I, you know, and someone to still love you, right? And a family. Exactly, absolutely. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be like you know, uh, yeah, getting thrown out of the house or anything like right. that. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Really important. Yeah, that's that's really great. So. Um, yeah, it seems like such a, an, like you said, a, a fun and, and interesting story of where you come from. I mean, because it's just a, it's a ride, you know? Yeah. Every, um, every step is just so, there's so many weird things, so many bizarre things. Um, you know, I, I, um, I, I think, you know, part of it, part of it too comes from uh, growing up Catholic and mm-hmm. they're very, judgmental and very um you know sort of stoic and strict and and um but also very like sarcastically funny yeah um and so a lot of my you know a lot of my sense of humor a lot of my sense of uh wanting to be the center of attention comes from from that oh sure um but also a lot of my need to improve everything around me um, comes from that. It's like I judge everything I look at and mm-hmm. I, I, I have to find a way to, to make it better. I understand that. We've got to make, we've got to improve this. Yeah, you know? no, I totally get that. I have that same sensibility and I didn't even come up Catholic so that's interesting because yeah. I feel like, I mean, just the parallels of the things that you went through and then I have, I've had similar situations and uh, even so much as that I worked at Quick Trip as well. You know, yeah. it's just those things where you're just like, oh wow, we I understand exactly now, what you're talking about. Did you love working at Quick Trip? You know, I did it first, and then there was something that changed, but I think it was because my priorities changed. But yeah. when I was first there, I did. I don't know. It was something about always being busy. Like, yes. it was always something going on. Like, you had to be doing this or doing that and doing that. And it, it, it set me... It was... Because it was one of my earliest jobs, it set me on a path to always look to do that. Yeah. Like, I never stopped trying to not be busy. So, Quick Trip is... It's a unique experience to work there. Mm-hmm. Um and everything I said about the grocery store is true about Quick Trip, but even more so. It's even better of an experience mm-hmm. um, because Quick Trip is all it's all corporate owned. Yep. So there's no you know franchises, and you're not dealing with the owner of that store or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you start out there as a clerk, and you come in, and every day you do a shift walk. Yep. At the beginning and end of your shift, you go clean everything and restock everything and all that stuff. And you run the register when they need help and you do your thing and the employees leave you alone, the customers leave you alone. Um, I, At that time in my life, honestly, if I could have advanced there quicker... Mm-hmm. Um, I would have stayed a lot longer. Oh, yeah. I, I, would, have, I would have stayed on to become a manager. Um, uh, I just needed the money bet so badly that I ended up... Um, taking the more lucrative job at the uh, tuxedo place, right. which that job just sucked. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. But oh I got I got to be an assistant manager, so yeah. I got to make the, the big money. But uh, but yeah, Quick Trip was just so great. Um, they they only hire people that they know can work with their system. Um, 
it's almost it's almost like military. It, that, yeah, that's really bit. the way it felt like. Like yeah. everything's just organized. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to. Um, come In my up with time in that to life, do. I needed that though. I was. Oh, yeah. uh, I was seventeen. Let's see. Yeah, when I like sixteen, seventeen, when I started, and I needed that. Yeah, I had responsibilities then. I had a car. I had insurance. I had a credit card. Definitely, and it was like, you gotta get your shit together, man. I I tell people to this day that you know whether between careers or they're just like, man, I just need something. I just need some job. I was like, go work a quick trip. Yes, it is such I a would great agree. experience. And if yeah. you you know if you can get on their managerial track, yeah, you're golden. Yeah. Uh, their managers make great money. Yes, they do. Um, and they they put you on a path. I mean, you, you work there, you know, you start there and you can become a manager in, you know, five or ten years if you really put your, mm-hmm. you know, if you really work toward it. You're yeah, make it put happen. your nose to the grindstone and you, you can get that done. Yeah. Yep. That's... It's, it's not hard. It doesn't require a lot of skills. It just, you just have to show up and do it and, yeah. you know, yeah. tell people... Thanks for coming and come back. And <laughs> yeah. we'll see you again. See you next time. <laughs> see you next time. Yep, all that stuff. Holy cow! Oh my gosh, we've been going for a while now, so we got to flip the script on this. Okay. And you got to ask me questions because you know, man, we just you get so into that, and you're just like, yeah. well, we're, just, we're, we're going the rhythm and go for it. Yeah. So, yeah I told you that. we could never do a 45 minute episode no, with me. Not possible. Uh, I just, I there's too much to talk about. Yeah. Right now. And. Um, so yeah, flipping it around, um, asking you questions. So, um, what, uh, what was your like early childhood and family life like, um, growing up? Like what, you know, I, where did you grow up and, and what was, you know, do you have brothers and sisters? Did you have parents? Mm -hmm. All that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was born to a single mother in Kansas City, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my biological father was uh, not around, um, and and so uh, my mother raised me um, for the first ten years of my life, uh, and I was a single child to a single mother, and that was an interesting experience. I gained a lot of dependency there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mother was everything to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, 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 there, I didn't know any other things like the, my grandmother. She was also there for me a lot too, but I didn't know yeah. any other like real, um, I don't know, sense of family other than like the nurturing care of a woman, which is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I've had a, a way to um, be more, uh, I guess, find more imp- empathy and, and be more... Um, I don't know, uh, emotional sometimes when I, when I need to share because I always had this amazing support and emotion in my life. And I'm not saying that men can't be that way, but no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Like oftentimes when you're growing up and you, and you have a a father there and there's either one's a disciplinarian and one's the, you know, the help, the helper or whatever it is. But my mother had to do everything. And then my grandmother also had to do everything. Cause even my grandfather, he wasn't really around a lot. He had to work and stuff like that. And, um, so yeah, so I grew up in KCK, poor, uh, mm-hmm. very poor. Um, oh my gosh, like we lived in like a one bedroom house uh, with leaks yeah. and it, insects and yeah, you know, like I, I can remember my earliest memories of coming home and you know the front porch being covered in spiders yeah. and being terrified because I'm a child and I'm, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But my mom fought really hard and worked really hard to get us away from there. She worked at this department store called Ventures. 
Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. I yeah. remember Venture. Yeah. I think and, uh, did Target eventually buy them out or Kmart? I think, what? You know, I think it was, it's Kmart. I think it was it Kmart. It was Kmart, yeah, because they turned the Venture that my mom worked at into a Kmart. Yeah, so. we had those in St. Louis, too. Mm-hmm. So, it was, yeah, so she did that for a while, and then she also would work at, uh, like, a hair salon, and mm-hmm. she would work two or three jobs to just support the bills coming in, and a child, and yeah. uh, a reckless one at that. I was uh, a terror, I, I think, when I was younger. I was disobedient, because uh, I didn't have that real steady disciplinarian to, like, keep me on track, or, like, a yeah. father to really hold me down it was like whoever my mom was dating or like my uncle I had you know sometimes but I mostly had women around me first 10 years of my life it's interesting because that's that's a very that's a very common thing that a lot of people grow up that way Mm -hmm. um a lot of people in in I mean we're we're almost the same generation yeah Um, I'm I'm just enough older than you that you know you'd be considered like a, a millennial or a Gen Y or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I'm, yeah. I'm like late Gen X. I'm like on the younger side of the yep. Gen X uh, uh, side of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends, uh, especially once I got to high school, uh, were, you know, children of either divorce or of single parents, single moms. Yeah. Um, was and I think... hit big then. I think for, Oof. yeah, I think for, for boys growing up, that has a real there's a real impact mm-hmm. um, on all of that. Um, the whole, uh, like, sort of the way that you either, you either have a single mom who's, who kind of teaches you to be a feminist, almost mm-hmm. in a way, or if you have one that just sort of gives you kind of a boys on the, boys will be boys sort of pat on the head and sends you out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of this thing of, you know, how, uh, how close to like having pornography hanging up in your room as a kid you're allowed to be like mm-hmm. you know you can tell a lot about how um how strong how strong of a, a yeah. presence um or you know how strong of a force that that is in your life yeah yeah that's that's actually pretty funny that you you like how how much pornography can you have hang up because that's pretty funny by the time my mother got uh remarried and I finally did have a, a, a stepfather and a disciplinarian. Um, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like the rules got a little bit looser. It was weird. Mm, yeah. Because I did have, like, half-naked women hanging up on my wall, and it was no big deal, you know? Yeah. Like, I was 16 and into Playboy, and it was like, you know, well, my dad had Playboys, you know? Like, my, my stepdad had Playboys, so it was right. like, okay, whatever. Like, And my mom was just comfortable with it. It wasn't a thing. So, right. yeah, I always felt like there was a, a very openness but it it wasn't like it was open to the extent to where I could do anything because I got in trouble yeah. all the time sure but at the same time my mom always supported me even if I had to be disciplined she still eventually she was like did you learn your lesson here I'm yeah. trying to get you to understand what's going well, on well as a single parent I mean you have to have a relationship with your kids that is even if I can't yet I need to trust you more than I probably should oh yeah uh, because I can't I can't watch you around the clock I can't oh yeah I can't absolutely control everything about your life so I yep. have to trust that that's what's going on yeah um, and in my you know for me growing up um, obviously I had both my parents um, my, my parents didn't divorce until I was um, like in my mid-twenties mm-hmm. um, it was actually shortly before I 
got engaged and got married. My, mm. my parents split up. Um, and my dad is now a Catholic priest. <laughs> he went back. He went back. He went back. He went back and found his Full thing. Circle. Um, but my dad, it, interestingly, um, my dad was a single kid. Uh-huh. And my mom, I, like I said, was in the middle of 15. And so in my household, my mom was the parent. Uh-huh. And my dad was just sort I mean, he was a presence and he, like, would tell us not to do things or we could, we could get in trouble with my dad. Right. But my dad was just sort of living his own life and doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. And he liked kind of being off by himself and listening to records in his room. Yeah. And, um, so... A lot of, I mean, the majority of, of the actual parenting uh, of me was my mom. Yeah. She was a stay-at-home mom for the first couple of years yeah. of my life and then um, ended up going out and doing some other things. And she actually became, um, she actually became a, f- like, pretty strong feminist uh-huh. when I was, like, in high school. And so that was a really interesting thing to go through where... Um, you know, for for me, the whole like, and and the reason I, I bring up the whole like pornography thing mm-hmm. is that 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 is really a to me that's that's sort of this the identifier of uh, of how you're raising a son, how you're how how you're um, teaching you know how to treat women, yeah, how, how to be in relationships and all that sort of stuff. There's way more praise. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's how I feel. Like I wasn't ever, yeah, like I was allowed to like be okay with like like loving women and being with that yeah 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 i was way more open to things too yeah and with the with the the feminism aspect of it like i had it, it was one of those things where there were so many things that just sort of opened in my mind at the right time that i became like i never really dated heavily or like tried to um like I never was like sexually active or any of those sorts of things mm-hmm. in high school or like not because uh, not because I didn't have opportunity mm-hmm. I did um, but it was one of these things where I didn't I needed to feel like I had an actual relationship with a woman before I would go in that direction oh, and yeah, yeah. like I said that never happened until my late twenties, right? You know that really never happened until I met my wife. Yeah. Um, when when I really felt like, okay, this is an actual person. Uh-huh. She knows who she is. She has, you know, she's defining who she is, mm-hmm. and I'm not taking advantage of her. True. Um, I think you talked before about being in a relationship where you know they just said, "Well, we don't care what we eat." You know, yeah. I don't care what happens, and yeah. Um, you know, I had a girlfriend like that my senior year that was just super passive to the point that I felt like anything I wanted to do physically was taking advantage. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, she was into it. She was happy with everything and she liked being in a relationship with me, but she just didn't, she didn't have a backbone. She didn't have a, she had a personality, but she didn't, she share it with me. Yeah. 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 You didn't feel, I think that's like, I, you maybe didn't feel challenged at all either, you know? Exactly. That's important to me. Yeah, it's super important to me too. Yeah. yeah, you have to you you have to be a, a, a passionate person about mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing, and you have to be independent. Oh, That's yeah. super important to me as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, like that 
Yeah, but that was all the things that I, I hate to mean say that that's like you know the the complex or whatever, but like that's one of the things my mother was. She was compassionate. She was independent. She was she was you know in my eyes this woman who could do anything. Yeah, and and I, I mean I always and that's what I always felt like I, I I needed someone else in my life to to have that person that could always do anything, but also could challenge me and also love my flaws. Because nobody's perfect, and they, and you're mm. gonna have things that happen, and you're gonna make mistakes. But that person's gonna be there to support you. So it, yeah, it was a lot that I learned early on, and I'm I, I'm honestly grateful for it. Because thinking yeah. about who I, how I know my biological father, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, I think I would have turned into a thief, probably end up in jail, mm-hmm. probably got in with the wrong crowd. My mom supported me in art. She wanted me to be successful. She promoted me to be intelligent. Uh, she tried to set me up for all the f- things that I wanted to do. Yeah. She never tried to, to thwart me from anything other than hockey. That was the only one thing <laughs> she never let me do was yeah. hockey. Um, it's incredible. Just to afraid have that. for your safety. It was too much money. Oh, okay. <laughs> we just couldn't. We just couldn't afford. It. I was already playing football and soccer, and I was like, "I'm gonna throw in hockey." And she was like, "No, yeah. no hockey." <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that has carried over so much into my adult life uh, to the point where I don't know. Like I, I I've done many crazy endeavors, like like yourself. I've I've gone on and like I did this thing, and I I don't know why I went to college. It wasn't for me either. Like I just. I'm yeah. grateful for the experience, I guess, but I'm in more debt now with nothing to show for it than I ever was beforehand. Yeah. And I would have, had I just moved and gone and done what I wanted to do, which was at the time, 18, I wanted to move to L.A. and be an actor. So I should have just moved to L.A. and at least tried it. Who knows? Sure. Instead, I got caught up with, you know, I'm not regretful of my relationships, but I got caught up in a relationship. And right. At the time, I was very passionate about that relationship. Yeah, and I mean... Nothing is... I mean, every, everything you do, especially at that age, is you're experimenting and you're finding your way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to at all make it sound like I figured out at 18 that I wasn't going <laughs> to go and get myself into debt. Like, that was the conclusion I came to. Oh, no, you're good. And, yeah. and I, I, I knew that at, like, 16 or 17. Like, yep. I'm not doing this. I'm not going into debt. I'm going to go find somewhere that pays me instead of someplace that takes my money. Yep. Um, that's how the whole internship and all that kind of stuff happened. Yeah. But that wasn't a byproduct of me outsmarting college. It was a product of me realizing I'm not going to do that. What are the benefits? Like, yeah. this is my reality, so let's at least figure out what the advantages of that are. Right. Um, it's sort of like um, what our friend Juliet does with you know, she looks at her situation as I'm living in Kansas City, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be very, uh, it shouldn't be an advantage to improv, mm-hmm. but how do I make it an advantage to improv? Mm-hmm. And so you take into effect cost of living and you take into account that people, that eventually you're going to find somebody that will agree to coach you over Skype yeah. in your improv and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you make, you make your supposed disadvantage into an advantage. Absolutely. Um, a huge advantage. If that ended I, up for her, I don't know where I would be right now. And I'll tell Absolutely. you, I mean, I, I, uh, I've been to L.A. Yeah. I know what it's like there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to go there. Yeah, you, at the time it was just, want to go you know, and be this illusion there. of it, you know, and like, yeah. That, I mean, it's the illusion everyone has of sure. what L.A. is. And, and what makes L.A. great is people that transplant there and make 
cool things happen there. Yeah. It's not what's already there. It's not the establishment of what's there. And right. so if you can figure that out and figure out how to get there a couple times a year and take part in that stuff, mm-hmm. you'll be much happier for it because <laughs> living there the rest of the time is just so miserable. Yeah. Um, the more I hear about L.A., the, le- the, the people think, they, they no, you don't want to do it. Don't go there. It's the weirdest thing. Like, it is the... It's the nicest like climate to live in. Uh-huh. It's beautiful all the time. Um, there's tons of people there to, to network with and talk sure. to and all that kind of stuff. But nobody does anything for fun. Ugh. They they go to work and they go home. And it kind of seems like a bigger expanded Kansas City almost. Like I hate to say it in that because I you know like and people do stuff for here for fun more now than I feel like we used to ever. Like yeah. we've really kind of exploded the entertainment districts up. Um, well, but. Kansas City has, and I mean, I my experience is, my, my Los Angeles experience is very recent. I've only recently started going out there and doing mm-hmm. things. And I have a brother that lives there um, that has very much that life where he goes to work and he goes home and he watches sports and he goes back to work. And yeah. it's like you're living a, a lifestyle that you could live in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Right? Just you have much better better weather, yeah. But you're not taking advantage of the fact that you're in what's supposedly the entertainment capital of the world. Like you're not you're not taking improv classes, and you're not trying to start. You're not trying to get your own show, and you're not trying to like yeah. uh, finagle all that stuff. But none of that stuff is going to work there either because you're competing against so freaking right. many other people. But I came from uh, St. Louis, and St. Louis is so anti-art and so anti-community and so anti-trying things uh, with each other. You know, uh, when my my first CD came out, um, or when my first CD was uh, was finished uh, and I got it mass-produced and all that kind of stuff, um, I brought it back to, like, people that I considered my friends mm-hmm. in St. Louis, and they were like, well, how did you make a CD? And I was like, well, I... I did this and I paid this guy and I, I paid this guy and they made him and yeah. it cost me like five grand to get a thousand of them and here they are. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I guess anybody could do that. Well, well, yeah, and nobody's not, they didn't want my CD That's and they didn't ridiculous. want to go to my shows and they didn't. And I come here and there is an amazing, amazing music community in, in uh, Kansas City. Yeah. Where you've got these people that they there's there's people that enjoy making music there's people that enjoy going to shows and there's people that overlap between the two mm-hmm. um, to where and it, it's also such a small and tight knit community not that it's too small it's not like it's 15 people but it's yeah. small enough that eventually you'll get the opportunity to work with anybody you want to yep you know yeah. anybody in the in the in the community like I started an Oingo Boingo cover band. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> and I finally found like seven, because it takes like eight people to do that. Yeah. I finally found seven other dudes that thought that was a great idea and wanted in and, and, yeah. and did that with me. Um, so I, I love Kansas City. And I love um, I love how supportive it is. I love how inexpensive it is to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that gives you the opportunity to try all these different things and, and experiment with you know mm-hmm. all the stuff I experiment with with making albums and videos and yeah and doing improv and right. that kind of stuff yeah it's um, way more efficient uh, well affordable and efficiency uh, when you're when you think about the 
production, you know, like the cost of it all, because it seems like these mass scale productions and all this millions of dollars that go into stuff, and it's like, do you really need all that, or can you just, you know, find your niche and do the things that you love to do and make it work? And yeah, yeah, it, it. I mean, I I love Kansas City because it's my hometown, because I've grown up here, and it's given me great life experience and I think that that's one of the things that will always be I don't know placed in my heart and give me the sensibility that I need mm-hmm. when I need it the most because the world is a weird place yeah. when you're outside of like your your bubble your comfort zone your city and so uh, you know like I don't know there's there, I'll always have that compassion I think that'll that's with me absolutely that will be a, a Kansas City, I grew up here, Midwest kind of thing. Yeah, so. and those are, I mean, like I said, the coolest people in L.A. are from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. The coolest people in New York are are either from the Midwest or they they immigrated to New York. Right, know? right. There's there's very few second generation people in those big cities that are on the on the edge, that are, mm-hmm. that are, that are cutting a new path or blazing a trail. They're just, because you get used to what you're, what you grew up around and, right. and then, you know, you don't try to expand it or push it out, you know, from yeah. there. Um, the, other, the other question I was going to ask you was, um, I don't know how we're doing on yeah. time, but... Oh, um, yeah, we're, uh, we're going, so let's keep going. <laughs> I uh, wanted to find out um, where where kind of the roots do you think are of... Um, you know, I talk about wanting to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big part of being a musician for me. Um, it's a big part of the stuff I do with comedy. Yeah. To the degree I do things with comedy. Yeah. Um, where do you think that comes from for you? Um, do you think that has um, like a basis in wanting to make your dad, like entertain your dad? Um, mm. Do you think that comes from, is that just something you've always had? Have you always kind of wanted to be... Yeah, I look back at it now, and um, uh, part of it comes from uh, from that, but I don't think it was so much as like trying to entertain my father, but I always tried to get his attention as a child because I thought that if I did something entertaining enough, he would stick around. That's, Which, what, that's exactly what I mean. Because yeah. I, I feel like people that are extroverted, um, like most actors are, mm-hmm. most... Uh, and funnily enough, improv- improvisers are kind of split down the middle. Like, there's like, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of them that are introverts that, like, they just somehow found their way into this. Yep. Um, but there is that sort of, like, you know, people that talk about, I watched Saturday Night Live, and I was like, I could do that. I want to do that. Yeah, I had none of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't start watching Saturday Night Live till I was in high school, and then I barely even watched it. I've watched so little Saturday Night Live, I don't even care. Yeah. It's really funny. I never... I even asked my mom the other day about how what my early comedic influences were, and she's like, "We didn't have TV. You just kind of you just did stuff, you know." Yeah. And eventually, there came more and more and more. But yeah, like I yeah, like I never had that desire to like do what they did. I always wanted people to just like be cool with me being around. So did you? I mean, did you like? Like dress up in your room and oh yeah, play with the mirror and stuff yeah. like that. Oh yeah, I yeah. put all kinds of dress up. Uh, I would put on makeup. My mm-hmm. my mom's got pictures of me with like I have like a, a bedpan on my head. I yeah. was using it as a sailor cap. Yeah. Um. So props and costumes, and I would you know do my own shows when I was a kid, and my imagination was wild. Yeah. And and I never let it 
you know, I never, I never let it get restricted. And I would tell people that I was like, oh, I remember tell, I told these kids at my daycare that I was the Goblin King because I had just watched Labyrinth mm. and I was infatuated by puppets and, and the fantasy and everything. And I knew none of the other kids had seen it so I could convince them that I was the Goblin King and that was my kingdom and all this stuff. Yep. And That's how I became the weird kid. Oh, yeah. So many communities. Cause yeah. Yeah, I would do soliloquies from the court jester yep. and like all these insane things that I'd memorized from movies and Me too. all of that kind of stuff. And it was um it's interesting because I like into like high school and early into like my twenties, like I knew like I I liked to perform and I was always comfortable in front of a crowd. I was always comfortable making a crowd um enjoy whatever I was doing, whether mm-hmm. it was music or, or acting or, you know, I did a little bit of theater and stuff like that in high school. Um, and I, I liked acting. Um, it wasn't ever something that I like wanted to do, um, as a career per se, mm-hmm. sort of the way that improv isn't something that I want to do as a career, but it's something I enjoy and yeah. it's something I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting thing to learn how to do. Um, but, uh, the whole, I almost, I sort of uh, fought against the idea that, like, I would take a personality test and it would tell me I was an extrovert. Mm-hmm. It's like, but I spent all my time in my room writing music and and pretending to be Robert Smith, and mm-hmm. like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But what what finally came together for me about that was that not all extroverts are jump on the table, look at me, look at me, extroverts. A lot of people are extroverted in that they want everyone else's validation of what they're doing. Yeah. They want everybody around them to say, you're cool, you're good, you're all right. Yeah. What you're doing is good. Yeah. And that was so true for me um, growing up. It's still true today. It's still something that I, that I, I, I need on a fairly regular basis. I mm-hmm. need people to tell me, man, you're awesome. You're doing a great job. I love the stuff that you do. All of that stuff that 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 really feeds me, um, but I'm also like I'm I'm very fortunate in that I'm in a really good solid marriage mm-hmm. and I have a great family and a great support system with friends and all that yeah. kind of stuff to where um, I I I don't I don't have a uh, a negative validation at the beginning of the day like I'm I'm coasting on. <laughs> I'm coasting on what yeah, I did last week, yeah, and so I'm, so I'm still good. Yeah, um, and that I, I think I see a little bit of that in you too, where um, it's it's not so much that uh, you're that that you're creating because that's just who you are, and you're you've got to be in front of people and yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. It's it's more about um, you want to make friends. And you want everybody around to be your friend, and you want everybody around to accept you and and like you for what you're doing. Yeah, that's pretty much the pinpoint it right there. I mean, that, that's a lot of it because I I do enjoy people, you know, a lot of the times. And yeah, you know, I don't really care for a lot of people that are uh, I want to say big personalities because I don't think I'm a big personality. I think I'm a fun personality, mm-hmm. and big personalities freak me out because it's like they have to have so much and yeah. I'm just like can't you just be cool with what we got going on right now yeah you know let's just enjoy each other let's just enjoy this event this experience this moment absolutely you know and uh yeah it's it's hard and I've I've, and I've actually 
I hate to say that I dabbled in like big personality moments in my life to see how it felt just yeah. because it's you know something to do something to do and it never it never plays out it makes me I always feel like an asshole yeah and I've been I've been there too many times yeah before. I, I I have to I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. um, where you just you you play that conversation back in your head and you're like I hate who I was when I did that <laughs> I so yeah. let's not ever do that again yeah um, yeah absolutely and, yeah and I I will say you know um, like I think that's something that that gets easier with time that you get you get a little bit easier on yourself but you also get more confident and mm. and you know. You know what works for you and what doesn't. You know what's going to get you into trouble and what doesn't get you into trouble. Yeah. Um, and honesty is really a huge part of that. Like, really being honest with people about what your situation is like um, and what you're trying to get out of, of what you're doing. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're stringing somebody along and you're saying, you know, I really want to be in this improv troupe with you, when what you're thinking is, I want to take that guy and start a writing group. And, mm-hmm. and I don't care about the rest of this, but, like, play along with... You know, this game I'm playing to yeah. try and get what I want out of it. Right. It's like, no, just be honest and say what you want. And like, I'm willing to support you. Or are you willing to help me with what I want to do? Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's the, the key to having successful friendships. Oh, yeah. Also, is that you, you know, you're not, you're not, you, you're mostly, you're not using people, but you're not. You know, you're not putting them in situations where they feel like they're they're not they're not you're not being a friend, you're not being true to them, yeah. you're not being you know loyal, and it's hard to give out the trust and loyalty to a lot of people. But you're also, you know, like you're doing it because, or at least I, you know, like I feel like I'm doing it because I want, I don't know, I want the biggest support system in the world, and there's nothing you can't do with with a good support system. Yeah, you know. And, and and the people that support you are the people that you know like will catch you when you fall if anything happens they'll they'll give you that validation but they'll also be honest with you if you're honest with them that that's yeah. so true and it, that's the difference to me the where that really clicked where that really became oh that's how you that's how you make this whole thing work mm-hmm. was the realization that I'm not looking for an audience. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for friends. Yeah. I'm looking for collaborators. Yeah. I'm looking for people who are going to give me as much as I give them, um, and not worry about, you know, being a broadcast entity where it's it's just me talking and everybody else has to listen. It's I'm helping you do something and you're helping me do something and we're all having a good time doing what we're trying to do and right. You know, I'm not trying to build myself up as being better at this than you are. Like. We're both trying. We're both experimenting. We're both figuring this out together. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, let, yeah. let's try it. Let's do it. Yeah, and it's been uh, nothing but really fun, in my opinion. Like, honestly, uh, you know, I, I, it's scary to dive in and try to figure things out like that because I don't like to fail. I mean, <laughs> who does? You yeah. know, it, it, success feels good. It's it it's it. You know that that trigger in your brain where you get the, all that like ah, I get it. You know, yeah, I mastered this. I know this. When you fail, and it, you know you you it's there's fear that starts to set in, and it's not the fear that's like you don't know what you're doing. It's the fear that like you, you like you know you can't uh, you can't overcome a specific thing, and so what does that lead to? Like it, it's like is that a domino effect? 
but it really isn't because you have all those other people that are there to tell you thing. Yeah, it's whatever, you know. Like that, so, what? Let that thing go. Mm-hmm. Do the next thing, you know. Like yeah. if you're a creator, if you're an artistic person, if you're passionate about what you do, you'll find the next thing. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So yeah, because I get I'm so caught up in like the fact that I got degrees and I don't use them, and Uh-oh. and it's like. Yeah. Well, it's all right. You know, like, you'll figure it out, you know. Well, and right. And and no one around you is thinking, what's he doing with that? <laughs> exactly. What's he doing? <laughs> That's so true. Like that, you know, no one's no one thinks that way. You you do that all to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, we met right about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's this interesting, this interesting thing of, um, I typically people that end up becoming really close friends of mine, I tend to butt heads with when I first meet them. <laughs> I, I tend to not get along with them at all, yeah. and it has to do with um, with similar personalities or similar um, ambitions and goals. And it's like here's two people in the room that want the same thing, mm-hmm. and they don't know enough about the other to know, you know, when they're accidentally being condescending to the oh, other yeah. person and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's like, well, don't, don't tell me I don't know what I'm doing until you know me enough to know that I yeah, don't know what I'm tough. doing. And that, that, yeah, that's really hard. And, and with taking improv classes, um, like, uh, I took level one with Tim Marks mm-hmm. at KCIC and Tim is a great guy. I really like Tim. Um, now it seems ridiculous for me to say this, but the first class that I had with him, I didn't like him at all. I, wanted, <laughs> I, I hated that guy. Like he was, he was telling me everything I was doing was wrong. Basically, right. like you know, you're making lots of jokes and you're making everybody laugh and stop it. It's like, yeah. why are we here if we're not making jokes? Right. Like that's what I'm here to do. Right, to be funny. Um, but like learning, oh, he's actually teaching me something and. Um, and then, you know, the two of us getting to know each other personally, that becomes more comfortable. And, you know, now yeah. we become friends and all of that. Um, and then I went on to level two with you. Yeah. And that ended up being a two, three class, which was kind of weird in in and of itself. Right. Um, but I had this, coming into it, I had this thing of, you know, I've seen short form and I've seen long form. And um, like I mentioned earlier, I had this band in high school that was a prog rock band. Right. Well, Musicians and people that really understand music can appreciate prog rock in a mm-hmm. way that casual listeners don't. Right. Um, you know, there's casual listeners that like bands like Rush, but they only like a couple of songs. They don't want to listen to the, you know, a whole concert or the whole album yeah. or anything like that. And with improv, that's kind of how long form and short form are, where if you know your stuff, you can appreciate long form. And then you can learn how to do long form. And it's very, uh, it's very satisfying to do it. And it's mm-hmm. very satisfying to see it done well once you understand it. But for me, coming into everything, it was short form is what the audience likes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do because I want, I want to entertain the audience and be good at that. And, right. and do those things and do those short form games. And I think, <laughs> I want to say in our first class together... I said I tried to explain that position. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to explain that, like I, I respect long form, 
I, I get it and don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I, I think it's great the way you guys do all of that. But I think short form is actually superior from an entertainment perspective because that's what the audience expects. Mm-hmm. There's lots more chances for them to interact. They get to feel like they're more part of things and, you know, all the reasons that right. the, the short form is fun. Um, but it was also one of these things that was like, well, you're limiting yourself on how far you can go in improv. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I am. <laughs> but that's I, what I am, you but wanted. that's what I want. That's what that's... you want. Yeah, exactly. You didn't have a chance to convey that. And then you also got put in the unfortunate situation where you were in a 2-3, where 2 should have still continued on with more advanced short-form style stuff. Yes. Uh, and 3 should have been and then and getting into in their, in their curriculum the into the long form. form. But I had to combine the two of them, and it yeah. was so difficult. And it was at a weird point in my life where I was just not... I was still learning... And I was trying to teach what I was learning, and again, it being and I I recall so many times of being condescending, and I don't I didn't mean to be, but it was just like and I and I, I that was something I figured yeah. out was like it was you had to get to know me a little bit better, I had to get to know you a little bit better, and once we got to that point, like there were a couple of times where you would surprise me with something that you would say, like positively surprise mm-hmm. me with something you would say, it'd be like. I can tell you're really good at playing the piano. Yeah. Like, you should think about doing musical improv with people because it sounds like you could do it. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, I could. I Like, I'm not, like, trying to make that happen, but mm-hmm. that that's an interesting interesting sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just, it's interesting to me how much, how many of my friendships that start out that way, um, where there's this sort of contentious beginning where if I give it enough time and then give it a little bit of space and then come back to it and I'm like, hey, you want to go do this? Yeah, let it go. And, yeah. and you know, for, for us it was, when we started doing the movie reviews, together, oh, yeah. it was like, oh, we're not competing here. We're not, like, I'm not telling you I want something and you're telling me you want the opposite sort of thing. Right, it's, right. We're just doing this thing that's fun and, mm-hmm. you know, I know you can... you. You can vamp if you need to vamp. Like, you're, you can talk in front of a camera if you have to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're totally comfortable with this, and, and this ends up working. And it's like, oh, we can take this whole artifice of, you know, student-teacher sort of right. thing out of it and, like... Cast it aside, then you're just people. We're just, then you're just friends. Now we're just friends. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes a big difference. A it really thing. does. So, yeah, that was... That was an interesting experience, but definitely one to note because, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a commonality of sometimes how I make some of my best friends, too, is people that... A lot of my best friends, now that I think about it, are people like, when I first met them, I knew I was like, I'm not going to like you. Yeah. And then, boom, you know? Uh, Christian. And Christian and I have even talked about this, and I was like, we hated each other when we yeah. first met each other because it was like... We were like, well, blah, 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 you know, yeah. we want both of the same things, but then you bro- when you boil it down, it's like, no, we're just like-minded individuals that need to get to know each other better. Absolutely. So, you yeah, know, that's, that's really true. And we have done a double episode, Yeah, you know? I knew we would. You see this? This is, you guys, this is <laughs> ridiculous, and uh, probably the only time this will ever happen, but it needed to happen because it's amazing. This is what getting to know your friends is all about. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, I hate to say we have to wrap it up, but we have to wrap it up. <laughs> we do. So, uh, again, thank you to Dale 
you know, without yeah. him, this wouldn't be possible, honestly. Well, thank you for doing so, this. So, you know, it's, it's been good. an amazing adventure, and, um, you know, more to come, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't stop being friends. No, you know? not at all. No, not at all. You know, not a, digital age is not going to stop us by any means. No. Nope. So. It's going to make it even easier. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, thank you. Check out the website, uh, z-prov.com. And, uh, you know, keep listening to the podcast and watching the videos yep. and um, supporting art, guys. That's it. Support your friends. Support art. Learn about people. That's what this is all about. So, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>